All right, folks, welcome back to the list. Mountain West Wire Football recap show, Matt. We made it. We got a game. We got five games out of, quietly says, out of six in the books this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> five games. Excellent. MWR.com. Check it out. That's where all of our previews, recaps, uh, news. You have your winners and losers. I have some highlight posts. I'm working on a few other things on this uh, Sunday, er, late morning, early afternoon. Uh, so, how'd your first day of viewing experience go, Matt, with five games? Basically, all within a couple hours of each other, the uh, double headers going on. Yeah, it's hard to complain. Um, <laughs> I guess the only limitation is that I can get—I only have Hulu available on two devices at a time, oh, man. so I had to get creative with the channel flipping, especially yeah. in those uh, afternoon games. Yeah, I guess you have to watch more of the Mountain West when it's that early afternoon, late evening, whatever. I guess not for you, but uh, you had Michigan, Minnesota, obviously the Mountain West games, a couple others going on. Uh, all in all, though, it's a it's a good problem to have again. It is a good problem to have. Yeah, it's uh, you gotta. You, how okay? I have a quite serious question for. You. I haven't watched it. Yet, I haven't used it yet. I was busy doing stuff, so I kind of recapped games this morning, last night, watching them. How did the? Oh, I can't even ask you. you no, know, I was gonna ask you Fresno, Hawaii. How'd the app go? But you couldn't use it. No, so, I admit it didn't have to. It was on regular TV for you, right? You know what though? If you're listening to this podcast and you were one of those people using that Team One Sports app uh, anywhere else on the mainland, let us know how the experience was at MWC Wire on Twitter. Yeah, I know one person had a small issue that got figured out because I guess the you can't cast it from your device like your phone, but mm-hmm. it's on what was it Roku, Amazon if your TV has the Amazon apps or Apple TV. So there's ways to get on your screen without having to do the screencast workaround instead of a direct light cast. So yeah, let us know. As I say, I'm like, wait, you, your team played Hawaiian. Also, apologies in advance there as well. For the, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll talk about we'll, that. Yeah, we'll get to that game. But should we just get started to uh, the first? Uh, I guess I'll go into order here because it's Boise State, Utah State, 42-13. <sighs> should we start with the negative 37-yard punt? <laughs> you know what it's kind of symbolic of? I mean, I know I mean, I mean, know it's easy to make jokes. And it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like the latest iteration of the fact that Boise State's kind of had some special teams issues off and on mm-hmm. for years now. Like for, you know, they, they've had Avery Williams and they've had like, you know, Eric Saxe was a very reliable kicker last year. It's just like something like that always pops up. But I think it's kind of emblematic of the fact. And I think that the, the weekend as a whole really laid this out is that, you know, nobody was perfect this weekend. Correct. And, you know, I say that despite the fact that the Broncos went up 20 to nothing in this game, you know, by halftime, they pretty much had it in control from the get go. But to me, that's kind of like a a flashpoint to that larger message where even the teams that looked really good, you know, still have, if not necessarily questions to answer, things to work on, I guess Mm -hmm. I would say. Yeah. No, that, that definitely makes sense. That's what I bring it up because I saw it. I'm like, wait a minute. It was just a, a little bit off the toe and it hit the guy in the backside. He's like, what the heck happened? It's yeah. also to note, B- Boise State's been part of two infamous punt plays in their history. There's one a couple years ago. Do you remember when they played BYU and they went for it like on fourth and 19, fourth and whatever long inside like their five yard line? Wasn't that BYU that did that? Yeah, they tried to do it against Boise State. They attempted. Yeah. That's my point. They've been part of two really weird punt plays in the past couple of years. And so I just remember that play. I'm like, oh, we'll just go for it. We're down. We're in our tenure. Like, they'll never suspect it. And then, whoops. <laughs> so there's punting plays. But nobody's perfect. And also one thing we should mention, I was going to bring up right before until I got into it. Players are going to miss games, and we don't know why, or they won't tell us why. Mm-hmm. Like, I was watching the Nevada game. I was actually watching that this morning. Like, where's Toa Tala? He didn't play for some reason. They're missing guys for half a game, offensive linemen out. We've had various games where guys aren't playing for, I'm assuming those are COVID reasons for Nevada, but like Air Force had two offensive linemen not playing, All-American and one of them. So if players aren't playing, we probably don't know. The team probably won't tell you because they want to hide behind a hip or whatever and not hide, but you know what I mean? Kind of um, did. No, yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's, it's fair. And and that's really kind of the other thing is like, you know, for the performances don't necessarily tell the whole story, you know, because you have to account for who's missing. And I think that with some of the people that you mentioned, it seems like, you know, some of the players who didn't play had a bigger difference than others, you know, like with Utah state, I think I, I forget who mentioned it, that they had, I want to say like 14 players. Yes. It was 14 that guys didn't missing. play. Um, but you know, it's hard to, it's hard to tell, you know, how much of a difference that would have made because, you know, Thanks. to me, the story of the game, especially early on when, when Boise State kind of ran and hid with it, was the fact that Utah State's offensive line, for all the experience they had coming back, 
really looked overmatched by Boise State's kind of new look, kind of made over defensive line. And I think that's a credit to, you know, the Broncos that it seems like they've always, they always have the capacity to reload and things like that. But to me, that was kind of the story off and on is, you know, this I think was maybe the best example of it, but that was something I saw in a few different games this weekend. It was like one side, you know, one line was really having an impact on another. And in some cases, teams were able to adjust and, and, and rally. And in this particular case, with Utah State, it didn't really seem like they had an answer for it all, all afternoon long. No, they got pressured. They had what Boise had seven TFLs, three sacks. And here's the relationship. Like, people are saying this Utah. It's early too, so there's gonna be a lot of overreactions. Yeah. A lot of Utah State fans like this is the worst, like this is not last year. It's like, no, they say this could be as bad as what, 2015, where they were not good either in that year. And and I kind of called it too, like Jason Shelley, they brought him in. I'm like he came from University of Utah, and I even put in like our previews and stuff we talked about or what I've written about throughout these uh, off season. Like, he's a guy when he was at Utah, wasn't yes, they beat Oregon, they went, I think they beat Colorado and they beat somebody else, but it wasn't because of him. It was because when he played at Utah, he had a really good defense, he had good running backs behind him, and he basically managed the game. Utah State doesn't have the talent around them to do that. Their defense wasn't very good, clearly giving up 42 points, 20 in the first half. Look at that last drive. They punt the ball. Would Boise get it with, what, two, two and a half minutes left? They go down and score because Harston calls a couple of timeouts when Utah State's moving the ball okay. They punt it, save one timeout, and they go, what was it, 80-something yard drive, 90-yard drive just about to end the half? Something pretty deep. Mm-hmm. And they don't have the defense to help him out. He was only he was under 50%, 92 yards, interception. It's like he's a guy, and they brought in Andrew Paul, um Peasley for, I think, one play. He ran at least once for two yards. I remember I was listening to this on the radio in the first half, and they brought him in initially. I'm like, okay, he's a sort of a freshman because of whatever you want to call it for red shirt and transfer stuff or incoming guys, whatever they may be, injuries and stuff. But, like, he's a guy who's not going to win you games. And so I get kind of why they brought him in because I don't know, like, I don't want to delve dive into it. Henry, Henry Columbia State, had they had he, Shelley not transferred to Utah State? I don't know, but he Columbia's a lot better than Jason Shelley, and I kind of knew Shelley would be just fine. I mean, at least for one week, Columbia looked a lot better. Yeah, at you know, least for one he, week. He led them to a win over West Virginia down there in Lubbock. Yeah, and so it's like, I sold like, Shelley's fine. You'd be excited about him, but I would hold your expectations for after watching him play for those five starts. Like, when they played, like, they played, I, like, the worst football game ever. When they played Washington in the Pac-12 title game, 10-3. to 10-3! Mm-hmm. to 3. Your defense gives – and I think one of those was a pick six. Your defense in that game gave up three points to a Washington team that's pretty good. And Utah can't score a touchdown. And Shelley can't do anything in that game or barely completing over 50%. This is probably worse than that. But it's – they don't have an answer. Like, I, I like how Jalen Warren's playing well. He, he had two TDs but only got three and a half, almost four yards of carry. Just okay. Like, he's going to be a good guy. But what else do they have to keep up? Like, I know Boise State looked really good. Hank Bachmeyer played well. Three TDs. Over what twenty twenty eight passing, George Haloni was Haloni was great on the ground game. Shakir very worthy to be one of our top players in the conference. What he did one hundred what sixty total yards, mm-hmm. and I don't know when Utah State plays Colorado State or when they play Air Force. If had they had those fourteen guys back, I don't know if it would have made a difference because like I don't want to say Utah State rolled over, but man, where's the effort when you're in that second quarter? I mean, it's really hard to say. I mean, I think if you're looking to point at some some concerns that if they can't fix them, they could be in real big trouble. One thing I look at is the fact that they had zero big passing plays. Yeah, 92 total yards mm-hmm. passing. Come on. And, yeah, and, and they only had two on the ground, you know, both of which basically came in the third quarter after the game was well out of reach. You know, the offense looked stunted in the first half Mm -hmm. and and Warren didn't really get it going until there was that fluky punt return where I think Boise state had Boise state fans on Twitter had a point where maybe that drive should never have happened (laughs) because it it looked to me like a fumble, a muffed punt. Didn't it look like that to you? Yeah. It sort of, yeah. So, I mean, and and I mean, you know, Boise, mm -hmm. you know, could have forced them to, to, you know, could have forced a three and out, could have forced a turnover or whatever, you know, couldn't, you know, they, they could have, kept Utah State from scoring on that drive. I mean, to me, that's kind of like a small quirk rather than anything yeah. anything significant for either side. Like, I think, you know, Utah State's got a lot to work on, and that's kind of what I foresaw 
of them coming into the coming into the season. But if they look like this more often than not, then I think Gary Anderson's going to have a real hot seat sooner rather than later. I know it's only what year two, and he's already like I get basically like they're good. And also, did you happen to see the coaches' poll rankings that came out moments ago? Uh, I saw that Boise State was receiving votes. They were, what, 29th overall? Something like that. They're behind Liberty. Okay. Behind mm. Arby. <laughs> okay. Like, there's a couple teams of, like, come on, people. It's, I, uh, it's, uh, the polls are going to be weird. But, like, I don't know. What can Utah State do? Like, they lost a lot of guys. Like, they're clearly, they're, okay, what went right for them? Besides Ward's two touchdowns, like, nothing really seemed to go well for them. Like, Jordan Dath had, what, two catches for, I think, what, seven yards? Like, they mm. weren't getting the receivers. Like, Devin Thompson, Tompkins, excuse me, played fairly well, five for 37. But no downfield passing. Longest pass was 13 yards. Only three over 10 yards. Like you said, no big plays. Interception by Jason Shelley. It's like, I, I don't want to panic, but it's like it's not looking good. And maybe things will change when they play, uh, who do they got next week, when they play somebody who's not Boise State. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to look on the, if you want to look for bright sides, you know, one thing that sticks out to me is the fact that while they were only eight of twenty on third downs, when they finally started putting themselves in a more consistent position to move the chains, they started having more success on offense. And granted, that didn't happen until the third quarter, mm-hmm. but you know, you look at their third down tries in the first half, and they were basically putting themselves behind the eight ball way more often than they should have. Yeah, they were only two of eight on third third and longs, which is you know nine or more yards. But in that first half, you know their their first drive, third and thirteen. Later on, third and eight, third and fifteen, third and twenty. But then in the, later in the second half, they started turning it around and they started getting themselves into more manageable situations. And so when I see five of eight on third and short, which is four yards or fewer. To me, I think that that speaks to a glimmer of hope. Like if, especially if the run game can get, you know, you know get, can get efficient on on first and second down, put them in a position to succeed in order to move the chains. You know, they might ne- necessarily be the most explosive offense. I still kind of have doubts about how much that's going to come around this fall. But I think they have the pieces in place to be an efficient offense. But the offensive line is going to have to do a much better job. And Warren's not going to be able to do everything himself, like whether they want Shelly to use his legs, whether they want to bring in Jason, uh, excuse me, Andrew Peasley as like a Nick Nash type. You know, there, there's there's avenues forward, but there's also work to be done. There is. Like, do you think the offensive line was the main issue? Like, had the offensive line held up and say Shelly was sacked once and like maybe three TFLs, would that made that much of a difference? Because he wasn't really accurate either. I mean, yeah, because it seemed like Shelley was running for his life more often than not. <laughs> and, and that doesn't even account for the fact that they ended up having seven tackles for loss, the Boise mm-hmm. State defense, and, and three sacks. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like, yeah, it's uh, – and guess what? I saw who they play next week? San Diego State. So it's not getting easier. <laughs> and okay. we'll get to them All later. Right. We'll get to them. That's uh, – but what about Boise State? Like, they, I was mildly surprised – well – no, I won't say mildly surprised. I just don't like playing two quarterbacks a lot. Jake Sears came in early a little bit, but like, or excuse me, Jack Sears. He came in, that's fine. Like, at a Boise State, like, everything they did this game, like, Bachmore played extremely well, which he expected to do. George Solani, the running game, played probably a bit better than I thought he would at 100 yards and then the touchdown. But Shak- Shakir, obviously amazing. Like, everything they do well, like, to start a game, like, have what we've seen this year from not just Mountain West, but other teams. Like this is like their midseason form. Mm-hmm. Like what they have no no turnovers, I believe. Is that correct? No fumbles, no interceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, they found their new tight end there, uh, John Bates. I think he had what four catches on the first couple drives, I believe it was. New old tight end, yeah. Yeah, whatever. But, I mean, like take yeah that guy. But like he had five catches. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying they got the tight end early, which it depends what they do. But like C. T. Thomas did all right. Like it was mostly Shakir, but they got it to everybody. Like even Andrew Van Buren came and made a couple plays. Touchdown. Their offensive line looked really good, at least for one week. And I know that among Boise State fans, that was kind of like, yeah, it thing. seemed like the, the the tipping point one way or the other, you know, whether they were going to be able to keep Bachmeyer upright, you know, whether they were going to keep him from absorbing a lot of hits. But, you know, he looked a lot sharper in his decision making overall. Like, you know, there was a couple of scrambles where, you know, the plays just didn't work out. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you leave a game with 187 quarterback rating and 
you know, you're able to spread the ball around to what, seven different receivers, eight different receivers, excuse me. I would say overall that's a success. And the fact that they, they allowed George Lonnie to run for a hundred yards on just 14 carries to me, that kind of speaks volumes. Like, you know, we, we talked a moment ago about how the fact that, that uh, Utah state didn't have any big plays, you know, Boise state looked balanced. You know, they had five big plays on the ground and they had five through the air. And I think if you're a Broncos fan, against a defense like this, that was exactly what you were looking for. So again, while it wasn't an A plus performance, I think yeah, it was probably like an, an A minus performance, or, you know, special team quirk aside. Mm-hmm. I think you know, you really have to kind of nitpick to to find faults with this performance overall. I guess the only fault that's just not necessarily a fault, but a plus by Aggie's defense. They did get to Bachmar. They had three sacks on them on the QBs. Yeah. They had six TFLs, which which is nice, like Kevin uh, Metzenheimer, if I get that properly done there, played pretty well. Like They had a couple of guys, um, like Cash Gillian, played well for Utah State. So they just need, like, obviously it's not going to save them, but like the defense, there were some bright spots there for getting to the quarterback in the backfield occasionally. So there's that to look if you look for some uh, pauses for Utah State. Like there's that in Jalen Warren, but to be good, like you're right, the offensive line has to be better and they, you can't have a quarterback like if you're gonna have a quarterback throw for 92 yards, you better be running the triple option, getting 280 on the ground, and that's not happening mm-hmm. in Logan. So, 42-13, Boy State looks good. Utah State does not look good, but man. So, uh, any final thought, thoughts on this uh, particular matchup, Matt? Nothing I can think of. No. All right. So, you know what we need to do here, Matt? So, do you know what our buddy Josh Friendland is doing on the website? Uh, we did mention it on the last podcast. Yes, probably. So he's taking bets on what you want to do. What you're for. Literally forcing him to make a bet. That's kind of pressure, right? To put your own money on there, even though it's that's uh, a couple bucks in there. But we're doing that on the website. You, you're making picks. I'm making picks. Everybody's making picks. And again, we'll get to our Air Force San Jose State kerfuffle later on in the show because we really do need a fall guy at some point if that happens. Maybe that'll be me. But if you guys want to earn some good money, we got a partnership over at MyBookie that's awesome, very helpful. So right now, Matt, as we know, Mountain West football is in play, correct? Mm-hmm. Big Ten play is there. Everything's playing football. Pac-12, well, we'll see in a couple weeks. But you got the World Series, NFL going on as we speak. Your buddy Devonta Adams, Matt, doing quite well for the Packers State. Already has a touchdown. Pretty He's good. going off. Going off against my Texans, so I'm kind of sad about that. But you can do all that. Make Put that money into a payday for yourself over at MyBookie. You can do player props, obviously parlay. So if you want to do a big-time parlay. And, Matt, you would have done pretty well in some picks this week had you actually had done something, right? So they would pay yeah, attention for- to you. You may recall on the podcast, or if you read the article on MWR.com, if you'd have followed my picks, you'd have gone four and one this week. Yeah, so pay attention to that stuff. Um, also, it doesn't matter if it's winners or losers. Like you got underdogs, you can take the, take that that to cover or whatever you want to do. It gets a spread, except prop bets. So it's never too late to get any of the actions. Use your sports knowledge, ours match for sure. Mine. We'll see if I'm making picks. Well, I do, but. If you sign up over at my bookie, we got a bonus for you, dollar for dollar, up to a thousand bucks. Use the code overtime to claim that deposit. Um, just give it a little more help, because Matt, wouldn't it be nice if you start off slowly, but you had that extra cushion to know it's not really your money, but free money, right? Free money, always good. I will say that every time. Definitely, always good. So use the code overtime to claim your deposit. Also, one thing, this might be the last time we mentioned because coming up soon. I mentioned with Andy on our basketball podcast. You can too, if you want to, Matt presidential prop bets so you can bet on who wins the election if you want to so that's one so you can bet on literally anything you want sports and non-sports over there at my bookie so sign up today to get that bonus again overtime's the code so have fun with that i like your snicker there because who wants to bet on that stuff right it's real life yeah <laughs> We're right, no, no worries all right next game what do we got next here the other simulcast not simulcast but simultaneous game the best game of the day nevada 37 wyoming 34 can we get this type of game like every week from every team wouldn't that be nice? So can we? I want to first start off saying the worst news of the day: Sean Chambers. Oh man, that sucked. Was it like his literally first play, second play? It was the first drive. First I think drive. it was like the third down play. He's taken off the cart, clearly visibly upset, hands in his face, tearing up a little bit, broken leg. It's like ah, what what could go wrong for him? He just came back from last year being injured with a knee um, knee issue, but didn't go through any. Uh, Thing until summertime, full activity. So he's, I'm assuming, gone for the year with that broken broken leg. Because that's a, yeah. I think the the early word from Michael Katz was that he's probably going to miss the rest of the season. Yeah, broken legs, tough to come back. The weight bearing thing, ankle leg broke broken, but 
But guess good news for Wyoming? They do have a guy named Levi Williams who's pretty quite good at quarterback in the team. Yeah, I mean, it took them a little while to get going in this game. And, you know, to me, that was kind of why the game ended up unfolding the way that it did. You know, we talked about it, you know, a couple minutes ago with Utah State's offensive line looking, you know, really overwhelmed, I would say. It seemed like for long stretches of this game that Wyoming's offensive line, and, and to me, it was more surprising. They were in a similar situation. It seemed like Nevada's defensive line, even if they weren't always bringing Williams down, they were putting a lot of pressure on him. And, you know, especially in the first half when they built up that big lead, it, you know, they were able to really shut down Xavier Valaday for mm-hmm. long stretches in the game. No touchdowns. And, and they made Williams like move off of his spot seemingly like every other play. And yeah. so while it may not necessarily show up in the stat sheet, you know, you look at the fact that, you know, I think it was in the, in the second quarter or something like that, they didn't complete a single pass. Yeah, there's uh, a stretch Valaday, where they're turning the ball. They only had play. 20 yards, and then I think by halftime, you know, it was you know Levi Williams was I think completing under 50 percent of his passes, and you know they didn't really have much opportunity even to to make it that much of a dent for most of the third quarter. You know, they only completed th- or they only attempted, excuse me, three passes in the three quarter in the third quarter. Only had nine total plays. Um. And, you know, a lot of that has to do with Carson Strong because he came out and they they did almost exactly what I thought they should do when we talked about it in the previous podcast, which was go after the secondary. Because, you know, like with the talent they have at wide receiver, that was what they were going to want to do. And he came out, he answered the bell, you know, he had 52 attempts, 39 completions, which was a career high, 420 yards, another career high and four touchdowns. And they needed every last one of those yards. Back to back games, four hundred yards for him as well. Yeah, and and you know, taken in you know tandem with the fact that the running game was, it was really kind of hit or miss again for the Wolfpack. Like we didn't see Toatawa at all. You mentioned that at the at the onset of this podcast. Did not uh, dress Devont- for the game. Yeah, Devonte Lee was you know he had a couple yeah. big runs, but he only had eighteen carries for sixty five yards. Avery Morrow had you know an eighteen yard touchdown, so they were able to play some you know, well enough, I guess I would say. But there was that stretch basically with, with, what was it, four minutes left in the third quarter and basically all the way through the rest of regulation where they really struggled to move the ball. And, you know, it wasn't really until they rediscovered the passing game in their lone overtime possession that they were able to, to seal the deal. And And I don't know if that's a bigger concern on Nevada's part, or if we should just credit Wyoming for the fact that they were able to turn it around, despite the fact that their quarterback was basically under fire the entire game. And what we expected to be their strength was really kind of up or down the entire 60 minutes. That's just wondering. Cause yeah, the defense, like first half really good. Like it was uh they, or sorry, not very good. Sorry. They get, they always gave up 14 points the first half, but Nevada was moving the ball. Like look at this passing numbers, yardage numbers, like, Wyoming's defense wasn't making many stops. They were moving the ball. Nevada was, and it kind of and the offense was like in struggle mode at fourteen to six at the half. And so mm-hmm. it seemed like a flip, a reverse, like that. I remember that fourth quarter. Like every time Nevada got the ball, they you're right, they couldn't do anything. They couldn't move it there in their fourth fourth quarter. Like after that touchdown, they had like uh, where is it here? So I'm scrolling through the depth, the uh, play chart here, but they had they only kicked a field goal. That's all they had really in that fourth quarter. And Wyoming comes out scores eighteen points. Like, they had multiple three and outs. They had, what, three, I think four of their drives in the fourth quarter were all three and outs. Mm-hmm. And so, like, so out, like, you're right, is it the Wyoming defense stepping up because they're figuring things out? But they still got torched, but most of that came in the first three quarters. Until yeah, final- I mean, it's it's my opinion that Wyoming came back and almost won that game more mm-hmm. than Nevada lost it. I'd agree with that, that fourth quarter. Like, look at Levi Williams. He's like a freaking freight train. It's both those touchdown runs. He's just cruising through everybody, blowing past his linemen, knocking over linebackers and DBs mm-hmm. in Nevada. It's like, pull his arms up there. It's like, you're not stopping. It's like, the, what it imagine me is, uh, did you ever watch American Gladiators back in the day? Oh, yeah. They had that one thing where to go through, if you think about it, it's like a, uh, or like American Ninja Warrior type thing where you're running through a thing where they have like the foam arms next to you on the side where you have to just mm-hmm. put your arms up and just battle through it all because it slows you down just enough. It looks like he was going through that drill knocking guys off left and right. They're coming here. He's like, you're getting out of my way. I'm scoring a touchdown here. And he just ran through. But also, like, for him, he had a solid game. Like, 
for what Wyoming wants to do, these numbers are pretty good offensively. Maybe you want Valaday to have a little more, more production because he did get his 20-plus carries, which we talked about before. He's going to run the ball a lot. You'd like that to maybe get to 100 yards, about five yards a carry. But like their offensive numbers they put up are probably what they want to do. Williams runs for about 40-plus yards, throws for over two, 227, which is fine. Not great, but had they had Sean Chambers in the game, like he did throw the one, he had, did have the one pass, but it would have been more of a running game. And who knows what how it could have turned out because I'm pretty sure they had a split time because Chambers got in there first, but it would have mm-hmm. been more of a running type of game. And maybe that's, I don't know how it turned out, but they're going to be a more balanced team with Levi Williams in the game. But I did, I feel right. I feel like Wyoming probably could have won this game. Like, yeah. And I mean, there were some, there were some things that really could have turned the game one way or the other. There was, you know, the, and, and this was another common theme of the weekend um, we, that we also touched upon briefly with the Utah State and Boise State. Um, the refs in this game. <laughs> yeah. Like there was the, the, the catch, the touchdown catch that was ruled incomplete. And I'm trying to recall who, who was supposed to have uh, caught the pass, but you know, that was one of those, you know, turning points that really could have played it one way or the other. But then the, the other big play, which, you know, you could make an argument definitely saved the game for the Wolfpack was the interception in the fourth quarter by uh Burdale Robbins. Yeah. And also, like, one thing I thought Wyoming would have had, like, or an event, like, Wyoming got, well, a couple things too. There's that. But also, can we talk about special teams for a minute? Good special oh, yeah. teams? Both, that, both units showed up. That, <laughs> that putt by Wyoming, or no, excuse me, Nevada, excuse me. Like, what was that? Wait, let me get it back. No, they had a Nevada punt. Sorry, they both did really good. But that putt, like, inside the five yard line, like, or the deep, like, they had so many deep punts. Like, they started at the, at the uh, one yard line. Yeah, the, the one the yard game, line, the game time, <laughs> the ninety-nine right. yards, ninety-nine. 99. Would like it could have gone ninety-nine yards if they gone for a touchdown. Oh, I guess. Well, goal, of course, whatever. But, yeah. It started the one yard line. Sorry, touchdown by or field goal went the and the fresh true freshman kicker four for four. Like he made every kick he made for Wyoming. Like over, yeah, uh, John Hoyland. Let's yeah, shout him out. That's right. I have him in the little piece I'm working on right now. Like that. Like that special teams, both sides, both teams, the punting. Like, even the Wyoming punter, well, not even, but also the Wyoming punter. Like, everybody did well. So what was – it's just a real difference. It came down to, to me, the two halves where Wyoming's defense – or uh, defense played good the first – fairly good the first half. Only 14 points. Second half was fine. It just seemed they weren't consistent for me. Because Carson Strong did throw for 400-plus yards. Around, so I can't say the Wyoming defense did good overall. Mm-hmm. They had spurts where they did well. But, like, it seemed to me as more the Wyoming offense that finally figured things out. Because I'm wondering – I think why maybe they started slowly, and I've no. This is just me kind of throwing darts and thinking where Chambers would have been the guy most often because they're going to run their type of offense, and they kind of had to switch up more than they wanted to to a passing type of game. And so, maybe, yeah, I mean, I I think so because I think you know on the one hand you could make a case that Wyoming maybe did what they wanted to by making Nevada one dimensional. Mm-hmm. You know, because you know with a lot of air raid teams, it. Get, it can get to the point, and I think it, it, you can make a case that it did in this game, where you know you have a big lead, but you don't know how to close. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the fact that Wyoming did end up with eight tackles for loss, to me that kind of tells part of that story. Like you know they were able to bottle up Lee and Morrow for the most part, and really forced Strong and, and his receivers to try to win the game by you know bleeding the clock, which is not necessarily what a passing game is always built to do. Yeah. I, so, so sure. you know, we so I think you know from a coach's standpoint, or from a, like an inside the the locker room standpoint, inside the film room standpoint, like you could make a case that you know giving up as many yards through the air as they did wasn't necessarily that big of a deal because they were able to come back and almost win that game anyway. That's true. Like, so do you do you, would I know Nevada won? This might be a dumb question to ask, but was the, is Nevada the better team of the two? I mean, I think right now, yeah, I would have said so even before this game. Okay. One thing I do like to point out, I was just curious. One thing I like to point out, we know how we mentioned the Wyoming receivers, who they got. Well, they got Isaiah Nayor, who likes to go deep. <laughs> so he had a 45-yard 45 45-yard 45 long pass. They threw to, what, eight different receivers. Mm-hmm. Valaday did catch seven in the backfield, so that makes up a bit for his rushing. I don't want to say he wasn't great, but what we've used to, used to him doing last year. So he had, yeah, he had 130 yards just about combined. So they need to they find they separate the receivers, but if they're throwing just to validate and giving him thirty touches a game, 
they're going to have to find somebody else. And Nayor did pretty good with that long TD pass three for 102. But they, everybody else had like one catch. Gunnar Gentry had the two and the touchdown. Mm-hmm. They, I think they, they need to spread that out a bit more. Whether mm-hmm. keep the production the same, but I don't. You don't want validate. Like if he's getting, I know it's a fewer games this year, but thirty touches. That's a lot, man. I mean, I think you can be encouraged by the fact that Wyoming was able to discover you know, something of a big play element. Mm-hmm. Where even when even though Williams really only completed fifty percent of his passes, you know you have you know one, two, three, four, five guys you know among those eight that had a catch of at least fifteen yards. And I think if if you're Wyoming, if you're a team that's going to rely on a really bruising ground game and uh, kind of a an all or nothing passing attack, then I think you can live with that. You know, I think you know, maybe a little more efficiency on the ground game will help them in the long run. But you know, to me, it's not necessarily a red flag that they're spreading the ball around and and you know a lot of fifty fifty passes again that could have gone their way and just didn't in this particular instance. Agree. Anything else you want to add on this game? Like, is let me ask you one more question. I'm doing my quarterback rankings this week. Is should Carson Strong be number one? I think he should get a longer look. Yeah. Okay. Who else? Hank Bachmeyer. Uh, him and and one other quarterback we'll talk about in a moment. All right. What game are we going to next year? Are we going to the uh, San Diego? St- oh no, Hawaii Fresno State game. Yep. Is it the other quarterback in this game, Matt? Uh, yeah, it would be uh, in my mind, Siobhan Cordero. When. Is the first I don't remember. I need to look it up. But when's the last time Hawaii had two hundred rushers? I have no idea when that was. That is an excellent question. I wish I had thought to look that up. I mean, to me, to me, the big story of this game is like, look at the run pass ratio. And and I, and this doesn't account for like sacks or anything like that. So so you can tinker with it a little bit. But you know, you credit Hawaii for fifty three rushes and only thirty pass attempts. What is this option team? What's going? <laughs> It's the it's the running gun, baby. Right, go go offense. Graham, that's GJ Kin. That's you know Brennan Marion and everybody else on the offensive side of the ball. We should mention thirty four nineteen in favor of Hawaii. We got to put that out there, Matt, one more time. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, like the offense. Like I I, I just cut highlights on this because I couldn't watch it live and didn't go to the app after. So you watch it more than me. But like Cordero, it's like he didn't make mistakes. Like I put in my quick preview I did for how they're gonna win. Like. Just don't be Cole McDonald because last McDonald, we've seen him try to hit those tight windows. He would never hit them or it would be a 50-50. It would be a, a disastrous play. It wouldn't just be an overthrow out of bounds. It would be, I got this guy here, but the defender's so close he'll pick me off or something. He, mm-hmm. Cordero, yeah, no no offensive, or excuse me, no passing touchdowns, had two in the ground. But it's offense. It's still a lot of, it's still kind of what they wanted to do last year. A lot of passing. It's just not throwing 50 plus times. And I really think with the run and shoot, what Nick Rolovich said, they want the quarterback to run some, but this was not is a slightly different enough where when he's running, it's not the same when it's five receivers at one in the quarterback. You know what I mean? They put mm-hmm. guys back to him ne- next to him, running backs like Miles Reed, 109 yards there. They had even Colvin Turner had 60 yards and two touchdowns. Like if this Hawaii team is this balanced and we know they have the receivers, like Rico Boosie first game, Back in like two years, eighty-six yards. And Jared Smart, eighty over eighty yards. Like they, they, they're not going to be as explosive passing the ball. I don't think just three hundred-yard guys or a different hundred-yard guy every week. But they have enough offense to. Oh, Cordero's not playing great. All right, we'll just run the ball and be fine. Well, and when you when you look at what how Fresno State responded on defense, you know they didn't really have an answer for that ground game either because you know yeah they had six TFLs, but you know that's mostly tied up in the fact that they had four sacks, you know, and, and Kwame Jones had himself a game where, you know, he had three sacks by himself for the Bulldogs. But, you know, you're, you're looking at that trio of Turner, Reed and Cordero and, you know, without doing the math, you know, how many, uh, how many yards per carry did they average? Hawaii? Yeah. It's gotta be like close to seven. It's you six. Know, it's six, it's six yeah. point 6.1 with the, with the, uh, Sacks and included. Like that. If you remove yeah. that sack yardage and things like that, it's got to be a lot closer to seven, if not more so. Like, let's say they got 40 yards in sacks. That's 363. So that's, yeah, closer. It's pretty cool. Basically seven yards. So I'd say at least six and a half if we're being extremely conservative there. And and that was really one of the big concerns I had about this game. Although, you know, my biggest concern, I think, manifests itself in more and more in the, uh, you know, are the Bulldogs going to be able to generate a pass rush? And, you know, I think you could still say outside of Jones, maybe not. 
<laughs> because you know, Cordero was able to you know throw on the run. He was able to make plays and complete two thirds of his passes, even if he didn't have any passing touchdowns. But you know he took care of the ball. They won the. I think they only turned the ball over one time, if I'm not mistaken. And you know for a you know against a Bulldogs offense that it, it looked like for the most part they didn't have that much trouble moving the ball. But they really shot themselves in the foot. Like both teams averaged at least six yards per play. The, the Bulldogs were you know right at six, and the Warriors were at six point seven. But the big difference in the game, at least in my mind, was the fact that you know Hawaii was plus three in turnovers. Clearly, and yeah. I think mm-hmm. you know Ronnie Rivers looked fine to me. I think you know maybe you could have given him a few more touches. You know, but he had eighteen carries, seventy nine yards, and a score on the ground. I think you saw what you wanted to out of him. And, and out of Jordan Mims, who had a couple nice runs. I think you mostly saw what you wanted to out of the passing game. Because while nobody really stood out in the same way that Rico Busey did for Hawaii, you know, they were able to complete passes to nine different receivers. You know, five different guys had at least two catches. You know, they were able to kind of share the wealth and keep Hawaii from really focusing on anybody. But, you know, Jake Keener's got some work to do. Because at least for one week, he looked, you know, more Jorge Reina than Marcus McMarion. Yeah, I think the difference in the game was that last interception. Like, they were in this game, down 24-16, after the missed field goal. For, that's, like, the key point of the game. Like, if you like, they're, it's 17-13, back up. Interception leads to a high touchdown. They respond to the field goal. Then Fresno's defense comes up big with that missed field goal. They get to, But then they just, they're down eight points, they get the ball, and then, so what, six plays later, in Hawaii territory? That interception, I think, killed the game because... You're one possession from winning, or at least to be tying the game. Had they yeah. scored, had they scored any points there, who knows what happened? But I think that's like the biggest part of the game. After that missed field goal, they they played pretty good, but then the offense moves the ball, and then there's just that last interception. It was twenty four sixteen. They yeah, traded field both, goals, and both then... teams were able to to land some real haymakers. I think like mm-hmm. you know you know Hawaii had basically thirteen combined big plays. Uh, you know, five through the air and, and and eight on the ground, which again, kind of a surprise. But <laughs> Fresno State had even more big plays, like they had 15, and a lot of that came down to big plays in the passing game. So I think you know Hayner was probably the right choice to be the starting quarterback, but I think he's just going to clean up the mistakes because there was the I think it was the second interception that Eugene Ford had, which you know again Eugene Ford had two interceptions in this game. That was just like a, a mistake. Like there really wasn't anybody in that area. And he, I think I can only assume he was trying to throw it out of bounds and it just didn't get there because Ford was able to pick it off pretty easily. But, you know, I think if, the third one was like, like a tip, what, like the third one tip went off two players, I believe. And that's yeah. kind of just an unfortunate pick. It went off a, I think, what did it do? The white guy t- hit it, tried to catch it, tipped up high, then whoever was behind him caught. I don't know if it was Ford or Pritchard there at the end. I think it's Pritchard. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's Pritchard. But it tipped off a wide guy. It just got got knocked in the air, and that's like, yeah, the throw wasn't great because it didn't hit his receiver because the wide guy got a hand up. But that's still an unfortunate interception where it's not necessarily his fault where the ball gets tipped and it's up for free for all for anybody. Yeah, and especially since the Bulldogs in this game had a huge field position advantage. You know, they they had the both teams had twelve drives, and the Bulldogs were starting at their own thirty seven on average. And and while Hawaii was starting at their own 24, you know, you take that into consideration as well as the fact that Hawaii was able to turn those four turnovers into 17 points. When you're looking at a final difference of 15 points, that's kind of the story of the game right there. I mean, that and the fact that Hawaii was basically kind of unstoppable on third downs. Did you notice that? They were, what, 12 of 17, I believe? 11 of 17? 11 of 16. I mean, you're, you're going to have a hard time winning a lot of games with that kind of performance on defense. And 5 of 12 for Fresno is not terrible. That's not too bad. No, it's not. But, I mean, I mean, there's some glaring things that really kind of tell you the story of this game, and I think those are a couple of those. So, with Fresno losing, I, I believe they're much improved over last year. The interceptions. I mean, I think the offense looks about as sharp as as last year. I think the mistakes really killed them in yeah, the same way that it clearly. really took them apart last year. But you know, I don't really feel much better about the defense than I did coming into this game. And I think that they could get themselves into a lot of shootouts. But if the offense continues to make mistakes, they could play their way out of a lot of potential shootouts as well. Just like this one. Yeah. But yeah, they got to. They do have to shore up the. 
rush defense more than a pass defense. Because again, I think so. no passing touchdowns against this white team. We knew we'd throw. We just didn't know how much. So I would, I'd still say Fresno's in a decent position. Like from what we've seen, like they're better than UNLV. Clearly, they're going to be better than New Mexico. Like I did my power poll. I put them. They're still in the bottom half just because of win losses early on. But like out of everybody who played, like they're still not like. I don't think they're on the same level as Nevada or Wyoming. I don't think they're quite there yet. Not far, but I just they're better than Utah State. So they're probably like in that middle tier just above CSU, I think, if that makes sense. Like just about right about I, halfway. I do, yeah. So I think that's where they're at. And if they get rid of those turnovers, like I like could they beat Nevada? Maybe. Could they beat well if they play well? I, mean, I don't know if they're on the schedule in front of me, but I think they could be competitive in a lot more games than we think. I definitely agree. All right, so are we going to the uh, San Diego State game? Uh, yeah, let's do it. Does Marcus Roy want to go back to Oregon? Um, I mean, he's got to be frustrated today, kind of going over the tape of everything. Our buddy, we know, Tyler Bischoff mentioned if Mac, if you can't be, if Max Gilliam gets playing time, the other quarterbacks are crappy, essentially. It could be a long season, I believe, were his what, exact words. In, fine, in, I'll, I'll paraphrase. Come on, let me do that. But it's he's. We haven't nice. even mentioned the final score yet. It was thirty-four to six, but that was the most like fifty to nothing thirty-four to six game I've ever seen in my life. A couple things about this game I liked when I watched it. Uh, Carson Baker did what a San Diego State quarterback needs to do, except he did not get above fifty percent passing. I'm not starting negative, guys. I picked you seven to one, so get off my back for yelling at me already. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying the. 100, just over 130 yards. Like, I think if an asset quarterback gets 125 in a TD, that's doing a job, which he did. I'd rather have him go 15 of 25, just saying. But running game is back with their six running backs on the depth chart to start. Greg Bell, Keegan Williams, Chance Bell, even Jordan Bird with just the three carries. Those three guys, they rushed for 287 yards. Like, is it? can we just say the running game is back for the Aztecs with Greg Bell doing pretty good with the TD and 111 yards? Well, let's let's talk about Baker for a moment because I do want to put these numbers into perspective. <laughs> yes. Because I really do think you kind of have to look at this game as being like the first half and the second half. Mm-hmm. And when you know when the game was still, you know, mostly competitive, I guess you would say. When was um, that? Or at least marginally competitive. <laughs> first quarter. <laughs> you know, it's worth keeping in mind that Carson Baker was ten of his first fifteen. He was, yes. and he looked pretty sharp. You know, they they put him out on rollouts. He was finding, you know, receivers on the sidelines. He was making throws. You know, I think they too, if I if I remember correctly, like right before halftime, they had a the completion to Daniel Bellinger. I think it was, or maybe it was Jesse Matthews. I can't remember who. Um, another review that was probably blown, in my opinion, mm, by by the refs. So, yeah, I think all things considered, you know when. When you what you wanted to see from this offense was a fast start, and I think you know when you take into account what they were able to do in that first half, especially second quarter too, twenty points. Yeah, I mean you, you recently kind of what look at the drive chart and that tells you everything you need to know. You know, eleven plays, eighty five yards in a score. Nine plays, eighty yards in a score. You know, bit, your short field they turned into another touchdown, and and even though it kind of tapered off after that, and they more or less kind of sat on the ball for the most of the second half. Yeah. I would say mission accomplished from what you wanted to see. Like we wanted to see the running game come out and be stronger in between the two bells and Kagan Williams. I think you, you got that and you wanted to see Baker be able to make plays, you know, within a, a new look kind of evolved offense. And even though the final totals don't look all that great, I think what you wanted to see from him in that first half, you you got that from him. And so I think there's a lot of positives if you're looking at the Aztecs offense through that particular lens. No, there definitely are. And like they threw the ball to what, not eight different guys you mentioned, eight or nine. Like mm-hmm. there's no one standout guy because three players cut two passes. <laughs> and so that's good and not good, I guess. But it's good. Finding more people is obviously good. So you want to maybe find a guy eventually. And the defense looked as sharp as I think you would have expected them to. You know, with 14 tackles for loss as a team, Oof. five sacks. Caden McDonald had himself a game with two and a half sacks and three tackles for loss. Um, special teams showed up. They were pretty sharp. You know, I think it was Tariq Thompson that had the block punt, or was it Trenton Thompson? I'm trying um, to I think Trenton Thompson, I believe. They had the second year or another blocked punt. They got deep in UNLV territory, so there's that. 
But, you know, and Matt Ariza pulled double duty, which mm-hmm. I did not expect. You know, he had two short field goal tries that were success, and, and he averaged almost 50 yards a punt. So I think, you know, if you're looking for a team that had an A, you know, as close to an A-plus game as you could ask for this weekend, it's probably San Diego State. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. One thing with UNLV, besides them playing to three quarterbacks, like – they never gave Charles Williams the ball until it's too late. Not that there was ever a chance in this game, I didn't think, but why are they not giving the ball more? Like, he didn't really break out till later in the game. Like, yeah, he had basically like five touches in the first half. Yeah, it's by like, that point, they were down 27 to nothing. Why are you not giving this guy the ball to start the game? You're playing three quarterbacks, coach. It's like you have the, I would argue, you have the best player on the whole field, Charles Williams. Maybe not, like, it's pretty close. Him or like Tariq Thompson on San Diego State defense, but you have a possibly the best player out of the whole game whenever you guys on the field he's the best player and you're not giving him the ball it's like give him the ball more he ended up with 80 yards which is fine but they needed him to do a lot more it's like get him the ball 20 carries is too low too late you're down 27-0 at half it's like i know you're down but you still need to give him the ball when you're rotating kenny oldblad justin rogers max gilliam got the bulk of it you have a new quarterback if you yeah, I mean, there was a there was a point in the game where all three quarterbacks combined for five completions on nine attempts for zero yards. <laughs> but it's like you have the new guy, new guys. If you have a threat of running game, it's going to help your passing game. Does he not realize that? Like, that's the frustrating part. Like, lean on the guy and then help your quarterbacks where there's uncertainty. And so now he goes into next week. I guess Gilliam's the lead guy because he played the most in this game, but I'm not feeling confident about any quarterback. Question mark? Yeah, I mean, maybe. I would, I, I'm, it's I'm really hard saying, to say at this point. I'm just saying he played the most. That's why. <laughs> that's the only reason. But defense wasn't great either. It's like, not that we expect a lot of UNLV, but like I put them last in the power pole this week behind New Mexico because they were that bad. Well, you and me both, man. Good. good. Perfect. Join the train. Join the last place train Rebels, I guess. I don't know. But... Like, it's a team where, I like, I don't think we're expecting them to win. But I would expect it to be a bit more competitive. Like, and Aztecs could have scored 60 points probably if they wanted to. You know what I mean? Like, they could have put Yeah, I mean, the, the Rebels, I, I, I put this out there when I wrote the winners and losers column. You know, they averaged 2.9 yards per play, which was basically the worst offensive performance they've had in two years. And they were lucky to get there because they had <laughs> they had exactly two good drives all game long. They had their lone touchdown drive, which was 13 plays, 81 yards. And they had an 18 play, 73 yard drive that would, that was ended on a turnover by downs and they went backwards 11 yards. <laughs> oh man. Um, it, it, and, uh, Oh, by the way, San Diego state went and turned that into a touchdown in five plays. Yeah. So I think that kind of tells you everything you need to know about just how much work there is to be done on both sides of the ball for this team. And that doesn't even get into the special teams. Like they had a blocked punt. They had, you know, missed extra point. It was just ugly all the way around. Yeah. And they got, who do they got next week? UNLV is taking on Nevada. Oh boy. So it even Nevada met- day for the cannon. There's no way it's turning red. It's staying red, right? I mean, if they, if they lose that game, the honeymoon's over, right? <laughs> I guess already. That, I mean, if they are if they aren't competitive in that game, the honeymoon yeah. is over. Yeah, because Nevada's offense is better than San Diego State's offense. I think we can safe to say that. Mm-hmm. But um, all right, so we got the next game. Yeah, is, is this the final game already? Uh, yeah, San, the surprise of the weekend, maybe. San Jose State beats Air Force scoreless first half, which I was like, "What is going on here?" A goal line stand. And a defense we felt would get run all over basically shut down the Falcons' run option attack. I mean, it was pretty pretty modest performance by the Falcons. And and, and I think that when you think of like a, a scoreless first half, you think of it as being like really ugly football. Not really. I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think both defenses just came out to play. Yeah, I, yeah. There's a few plays. But yeah, I think it's more of a defensive effort than guys' bad plays or just any inconsistencies or wild throws or an ill-advised pitch that goes back 20 yards that bounces 18 times and three guys mm-hmm. dive to get it. But, no, it's a, it's a good defensive first half. Ended up being 17-6 to for San Jose State. They started – they had Nick Starkle, the starter, played quite well. Nick Nash came in and ran the ball a handful of times, no pass attempts. Was this a big deal enough for Air Force by not having two offensive linemen or why the game and running game went so poorly? 
I was going to ask you the same thing because, <laughs> you know, because we knew they were going to be without Nolan Rothenberg ahead of time because of uh, contact tracing protocols for COVID-19. Kyle Kreps was a name that came in a little bit later, uh, according to Brent Bergman of the Colorado Springs Gazette on Twitter. You know, to me, I kind of have to wonder, you know, because you're talking about one of the best offensive line units in the country and you take out two of those starters you, you kind of figure it has to make a, a little bit of difference, especially when you look at what where they really kind of made their hay against Navy. And like we talked about in the preview, where they made their hay against the same Spartans defense last year with the fullback dive. You know, Timothy Jackson was relatively quiet. His longest run was only nine yards, and they held him to 60 overall on 15 carries. You know, Matthew Merla wasn't really that much better. He had three carries, 19 yards, which is okay. But, you know, along of 15 so that lets you know that they were able to really put the clamps on them and Caden Remsburg was really quiet too he only had three carries for six yards wonder what's going on with him because last last time they played versus Navy he didn't get he's like fourth in line in carries as well I mean they just put a lot more I think they put a lot more emphasis on trying to beat San Jose's state to the edges because they put the ball in Hezek Daniels hands a lot you know he kept the ball a lot 13 carries but he only had 25 yards so it didn't necessarily work out and the fact that Brandon Lewis had a much larger workload kind of tells me that same story. You know, nine carries, 60 yards. I guess you could say he was the most effective offensive playmaker they had in this game because he also led the team with six catches for 36 yards as well. Mm-hmm. I kind of think that was the story of the game, but I think that that's a credit to San Jose State's linebackers that they were able to really play sideline to sideline, and especially their safeties too. Their tandem of, of Trey Jenkins and Trey Webb, the the two trays, I kind of feel like they need a cooler nickname or something like that. That's true. Yeah, we'll think of something. But it was really the spine of this Spartans defense that came to play. You know, Kyle Harmon had 14 tackles in a TFL. Webb had 11 tackles. Jenkins had seven tackles. You know, Ali Yamatu, Matau had five tackles. So you, you just kind of go down the line and you see who really stepped up. And, you know, it's those those guys you expect to be rangy, to be able to make plays sideline to sideline that stepped up and did the job. Yeah, they did. They, well, like, especially look at that fourth, the, the goal line stand. Like, mm-hmm. they went, they tried to go to the right side, and they just got, Air Force just got stonewalled right there and couldn't, uh, couldn't convert. And this, like, I don't know what to make of this game a little bit. I do, but I don't, like. Air Force you kind of have to grade everybody on a curve, I think. A little bit, yeah, but also in Air Force, here's my thing, too. They lose two great two offensive linemen that are good, one really good at Nolan. But it's like, if you're that good, you think you're back. Because it's a system thing, too. It's not like it with the Air Force, it's timing. Maybe it's – here's the thing. We knew Nolan was out for, for I think, by Tuesday or Wednesday. So they're already practicing with their backups in there. You would think maybe their depth isn't that great. But this offense, there's two ways I could put it. If it's, if it's negative, it's a timing thing, and they didn't get to practice enough with this team with the, unit, mm-hmm. the new guys, whether it's the, cause they switch guys around too. It's like, it wasn't okay. Center and I, in this Nolan position, you're going to be sliding in. They rotating guys around to set them up to their best to fit the needs of who's coming into a place. So the mm-hmm. offense line was switched. So <clears throat> the bad thing is a timing thing where they didn't have enough practice to get through because option based, it's like up the middle dive. Okay. That's simple enough. But if you're, you want to keep an engaging with your defensive lineman or defensive end or linebacker, it's a timing to know what the what's going to be done. It's repetition. And if they didn't get that, that's not good. But also you think all these guys have been in the system before. It shouldn't be that much difference. But apparently it was. But also I don't want to say it's all Air Force's fault for that. They're going well. You mentioned Spartans credit. We basically crapped on their rush defense for, for years. They've been terrible. And, yes, it was 206 yards and 4.2 carry, but no touchdowns. Only if I'm correct on this, only four rushing plays over ten yards, so no huge running play. And yeah, no I mean, one... if, if you if you go back over their last few, you know, head to head matchups, going back to when they started becoming conference foes back in 2013, this was by far the best per carry average that the Spartans have held the Falcons to. Yeah, and that is what's going to be good for them going forward, playing any rushing team because it's because it's kind of we always joke, oh, their pass defense is so good. Because nobody passes against them half the time, and mm-hmm. but they had good players too. But like they got New Mexico, well, assuming air quotes New Mexico next week if it's going to happen, like that could be a victory. They could be sitting at two and zero, and when they go to San Diego State against a pretty good rushing team, that could be. And what we've seen the past two years, I honestly wouldn't be shocked. As we mentioned in previews in the off season, the Spartans were going and upset San Diego State, and now we see they have a rush defense 
and pot and Nick Starkle, who looks to be just a, maybe a step behind Josh Love from last year. Yeah, he had the one interception, but I think if you're a Spartans fan, what you like to see is that they were able to win on offense, you know, without a big game from Trey Walker because you know he only had four targets, but he did have four catches, 38 yards. It was you know Bailey Gaither who stepped up, eight really catches, good. 110 yards. Derek Deese at the tight end position stepped up. He only had three targets, but he had two catches and two touchdowns. You know, I think you could still make a case that they need to work on the running game because that was still, you know, very much a work in progress against the Falcons. They had ran the ball, what was it, 30 times, 68 yards. Uh, That's a 2.3 yards per carry average. So there's still work to do there. But, you know, I think if you were expecting the team to be pass first, you can be encouraged by the early results. The, excuse me, the early results from Starkle. I definitely see. So are we, is there a concern about the Air Force? Is it, like you mentioned, Air Force in your winners and losers, they could still be in the mix because maybe just losing those two linemen was that big a deal. And if they're back next week, it's business as usual. I mean, I think it really makes me wonder how volatile they will be. Because they got Boise next week too. So, you know, Because we, we had a similar kind of conversation about Nevada last year where they won a lot of close games, but there was a lot of games where they just looked out of sync on one side of the ball or the other. And I'm kind of wondering if we'll see a variation of that where, you know, maybe one week they come out looking like gangbusters like they did against Navy. And, you know, the next week they scuffle on offense and, you know, they put together a a decent defensive performance. But, you know, maybe the, the questions about depth, the questions about experience creep in sometimes. Also, I think that's something to keep an eye on from week to week. Also, maybe Navy just sucks. As that well. too. Could there be that big consideration where Navy's just awful? They did, they did lose this week, did they not? I'm looking. I'm pulling up their stuff right now. Uh, they lost to BYU 55 to three. They lost. Houston's pretty good. They lost Houston 37 21, but they only beat Temple by two, and they only beat ECU by four. And ECU mm-hmm. is garbage. So they are three and three, but against teams that seem to be above average they're not very close double digit losses to byu air force assuming we think air force is decent and then houston mm-hmm. so maybe maybe navy's just crappy we're grading off of that a little bit is it what's your what, what's your concern level then with air force going forward i mean i don't know if i'm overly concerned but i you know i i want to see something that's a little bit closer to what we saw against navy than against san jose state and i think a lot of that has to do with you know getting back to 100 percent and getting their personnel back uh, on offense, you know the offensive line I think makes a difference for them. It does. It'll it'll have to be next week versus Boise State because that's a big turnaround. Mm-hmm. A big team who also noted just now AP poll dropped. Boise State is 25th, and San Diego, San Diego State's getting one point, so they got a 25th place vote from somebody. So those are the only two teams ranked or getting consideration for ranked. If I'm correct here, double check. Yes, those are the two. But, yeah, if they're going to turn around, like, assume they get Nolan back, they get everybody else back on their offensive line, maybe. It's like, I don't, I wouldn't, not going to pick them to beat Boise State, but if they're not at full strength of that, of their best unit on the team, on the field, they're going to struggle and may not be close. Mm-hmm. All right, anything else we'd add? Because we wrapped up our five game preview, or recap, excuse me, I keep saying preview. Five games of the week. Are we going to officially just go ahead and start saying week nine instead of me going opening weekend for a million times? Yeah, we'll we'll just go with what everybody else is doing. Right. I want I tried to mix it up of like week eight, but it's also the opening weekend, so I want to go that route. So we'll be back. Uh, do we have Thursday games already next week? Uh, you know what? I don't have the schedule in front of me. Look, I, I believe so. so. I believe so. So this means our show will probably be out Wednesday. So possibly we'll figure uh, out. If- yes, we do. We got Colorado State at Fresno State on Thursday night. All right, is that an FS1 game? Uh, no, it is CBS Sports Network. All right, so uh, take care of that business and get your CBS Sports Network. But we'll be back eventually talking to preview all next week's games for week nine, as I'm saying it properly. Uh, website, MWR.com, Twitter, Facebook, Mountless Wire, all that good stuff, MWC Wire. And, yeah, we'll be uh, back next time and just look for all some fun some fun stuff this week. Quarterback rankings coming up. we got your Matt's winners and losers. We'll have some news coming up and some other bowl projections. Even though we didn't mention Matt, Los Angeles Bowl is in limbo now. That's true. So here's my suggestion to really quickly wrap it up. Should we just do screw bowl games and just play a non-conference game of your choice? Wouldn't that be yeah, better? Why not? Wouldn't that be better? It would be better. I think that should be a thing, especially – I seriously, I'm not just, just saying it to say it, but everybody's bowl eligible. It's going to be a popularity contest. 
why not allow teams who just play some non-conference game? Like, remember the Mac and Mount West kind of half-hearted, half uh, hinted at a postseason challenge in the spring. Mm-hmm. So why not match up some with some other conference or play some other regional game if you're not in the bowl game just to get one more game? If you're playing like seven or eight games, why not do that? Might as well, right? I would like that to happen, so we'll see. But that's something to keep an eye out. But we'll be back next time. Um, yeah, any questions, comments, MWC Wire, like the show, tell a couple friends, and we'll see you next time.